All right. Well, some of you know that uh, I think Tony Campolo is just a great storyteller. Several of his stories are, are favorites of mine. Let me share with you this morning the one that he tells about his, his experience. I think it was early on in his, his pastoral days as, at, at a funeral in a black church. He writes, A friend of mine, Clarence, had died. The pastor was incredible. From the pulpit, he talked about the resurrection in beautiful terms. He thrilled us. He came down from the pulpit. He went to the family and he comforted them. From the 14th chapter of John, he read the words of Jesus, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. The pastor told us that Clarence had gone to heavenly mansions. Then for the last 20 minutes of the sermon... He actually preached to the open casket. He yelled at the corpse, Clarence! Clarence! He said it with such authority, I would not have been surprised had there been an answer. He said, Clarence, there were a lot of things we should have said to you that we never said to you. You got away too fast, Clarence. You got away too fast. He went down this litany of beautiful things that Clarence had done in his life for people. When he finished, he said, That's it, Clarence. There's nothing more to say. When there's nothing more to say, there's only one thing to say. Good night, Clarence. Good night. And he grabbed the lid of, lid of the, the casket and slammed it down. He said, with this bang, and everybody jumps. Good night, Clarence. Shockwaves kind of ran through the congregation, says Campolo. As the preacher then lifted his head, you could see that there was a smile on his face. He said, good night, Clarence. Good night. Because I know that God is going to give you a good morning. And so the choir stood and started singing. And on that great morning, we shall rise, we shall rise, said the pastor. Campola says, we were all dancing in the aisles, hugging each other. I knew the joy of the Lord, a joy that in the face of death laughs and sings and dances, for there is no sting to death. Do you know joy like that? In your life, we talked about that joy last week. The celebration, the true joy of the Lord that fills His people with that ability to laugh, to sing, to dance in the face of death. We we looked closely at, at that joy originating with God, coming down from the community of God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, existing in this triune community for all of eternity. Can you say eternity past and eternity present? I never know. Eternity doesn't have any time. Way back that way and way far ahead that way. Father, Son, and Spirit in communion for eternity, living in this joy-filled fellowship and inviting us, inviting us into that life that is made possible to us through grace because of Jesus' death on the cross. Wow! Thanks, Dixie. Wow! And we noted, didn't we, how how important it is for us to see each of these traditional Advent themes through the lens of Jesus and his birth and what that makes possible. I think that in order to really understand what the themes mean and and application for our lives, 
we must understand them through God's perspective, as, as God defines them. There are multiple definitions of, of joy and hope and peace and love. Just ask, folks. But we want to learn about these in this season from the one who, I believe, gives them their true meaning. So as you've figured out by now, our second Advent Sunday theme is, is hope. Thanks to the youth and uh, for Justin for the uh, great video and our reading. Gosh, that was fun. That was really fun. Uh, how about you? Did, you? did you have things that came to mind? I say the word to you, hope. What comes to mind? Just shout it out. Hope. Promise. Trust. Assurance. A future home, a future. A future home, a future. Good, good, good. Yeah. Yeah, hope. Hope, I think, always has, has, a, has a future bent to it. We, we hope for things. We hope for them because we don't have them or we don't think that we do. So we're hoping for change. We're hoping for improvement. We're hoping for an experience of some kind. Or we're just perhaps hoping for things to stay as they are and not get worse. And it may be something that we hope for in the next minute. It may be something for the next hour or the next year. Some years ago, Yahoo did a a survey asking participants, what is hope? Lots of responses. Uh, There were a couple that I I thought were, were really interesting. Hope, says one respondent, is about tomorrow. Hope is about tomorrow. For no matter how bad things seem, it might be better tomorrow. It might be. Another person responded, hope is a bundle of some sort of warm feelings inside that knows you're going to make it through and keep going no matter what happens in life. Another person responded and said, hope is just this feeling that we resort to in difficult times, but I don't think it really exists. Oh, oh, that's a sad one. One psychologist I read defines hope this way. It is the life force that keeps us going, gives us something to live for. Hope is a crucial part of dealing with life's problems and maintaining resilience in the face of obstacles. Even a glimmer of hope that our situation will turn around can keep us going. Yeah, hope is just so much a part of the fabric of what it means to be human. Emil Bruner was a 20th century Swiss theologian And he said this, he said, what oxygen is to the lungs, such is hope to the meaning of life. And so along comes the Advent season, and we're talking about hope, because that's one of the traditional themes. What do we mean by that? Let's be clear as to how we understand hope and and how we express hope. What, what is it we mean or, or what is it that we, that we should mean when we talk about hope? So 
This morning, I hope you'll forgive me. Once again, I've chosen a non-traditional Advent text. But I've got to tell you, this one screams hope. Just screams hope. Stand and read with me. See if you don't agree. Hope is just screaming off these pages. And if you don't think so, you're wrong, so then change your thinking, okay? <laughs> All right. Here we go together. Paul's words to the Romans. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Okay, wait a minute. Rachel, can we go back? Did you hear what that said? Let's read that again. I think you missed it. Here we go. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then can condemn? No one. Christ Jesus who died... More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And God's people all said, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Rachel, can we put that last slide up one more time? I I think I've said this to you before, but I never read this without sensing that that Paul is pausing near the end and, and saying, Okay, did I forget anything? You know? Wow. For I am convinced that there is nothing, says Paul, that separates us from the love of God. What do you think? Does it scream hope? Do you agree? Yeah. Okay. So, here's a question for you. Talk with your, uh, your neighbor for just a couple of minutes about this question. Where does the human desire, or maybe even a need, Where does that come from, for hope? Where does that come from? Where does the human desire or need for hope come from? What is its source or its origin or its cause? Go ahead. 
See what your neighbor thinks. Okay. Are we ready? Man, it's buzzing in here. You are hope-filled people. <laughs> That's what I was afraid of. You're talking and catching up. <laughs> okay. What do you think? Where do you think it comes from? What's, what's the cause? What's, what's the origin? Okay, if you don't have hope, you won't survive. Created by God. Okay, Doug, want to add to that? Ah, a little different perspective. Good. Okay. Okay, okay. So hope comes from the fact that, that we face death. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Good, good observation. Others. Other thoughts? Anything different that came up? Conversation. Our souls know. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's, there's, there's an eternalness to us. Yeah, whether, whether we can verbalize that or not, recognize that or not. I, aren't you struck with the plethora of religions around the world and the importance of worship to people wherever they are on the planet. That, that innate created sense of, of worship and, and sense of worth that comes from that and, and, and hope that is generated by that. Hopefully we can appease the gods Hopefully, there'll be a good crop this year. Hopefully, hope, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's woven into us as, as human beings. I think there are all kinds of, of individual hopes. You know, from, from person to person, they, they will depend on circumstances in, in their lives. And an eight-year-old going to hope for a new bicycle. A teenager hopes for a new cell phone or maybe a car. (laughs) Eight-year-olds are hoping for cell phones. You're right, Sam. Parents of newborns, they're they're hoping for a little sleep, you know, and and elderly parents, well, they're hoping for for good health (laughs) And, and a few more Christmas celebrations with family and friends, you know. Hope takes... Different forms, it, it expresses itself differently in people's lives. And I hope you don't misunderstand this, but it, it occurred to me this week, when I think of those, that, that kind of hope, it seems to me that, that, that is, that's a lesser hope. Can I say it that way? Lesser hopes or, or, or secondary hopes. And, and I believe that they're important, of course, because, because they're important to those who, who hope for those kinds of things. But... But I think that the lesser hopes, and, and you're on to it in, in some of your comments, seems to me that the lesser hopes point to a condition of the human heart that, that longs for something more. 
something better. A, a, a greater hope, whether it's expressed that way or not, that, that will satisfy no matter the conditions in which one finds him or herself. And it's, it's that hope that I believe we speak of or should speak of at Advent. You know, it's what, it's what St. Augustine expressed way back in the 4th century when he said that you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. That, that created that sense of being, that purpose for which we were created, that is the hope of Advent. It, not lesser hopes. When, when we talk about Christ came in the world, into the world to bring hope. He didn't come into the world to bring bicycles and cell phones and new cars. He came to restore us back into the relationship for which we were created. It is the hope that I think is the cry of the human heart Again, whether that's recognized or not. Hope that that general sense of, wow, is this all there is? Can't there, mustn't there be something better? And I, and I think that need or that desire arises in the human heart when there is, is a growing awareness that, that things are not as they should be, you know, regardless of, of culture or geography, place in history. Human beings have a sense that something is out of whack. That's very technical terminology, of course. Out of whack meaning that something is wrong, it's broken. Things are not as they should be. Life is hard. It is, it is broken in, in more ways than we know. And hope in its in its greatest and most profound sense, exists because human beings know that life is out of whack and there is a longing for it to be fixed. In his classic book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer writes this, the Christmas message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity. Hope for pardon. Hope of peace with God. Hope of glory. Because of the Father's will, Jesus Christ became poor and was born in a stable so that 30 years later, he might hang on a cross. Therein lies hope. Karen gave me a copy of Tim Keller's book earlier this week called Hidden Christmas. Listen to what Keller writes about Christmas hope. I just love this. He says, Christianity does not agree with the optimistic thinkers who say, we can fix things if we try hard enough. Nor does Christianity agree with the pessimists who see only a dystopian future. The message of Christianity is, instead, things really are this bad. And we can't heal or save ourselves. 
Things really are this dark. Nevertheless, there is hope. The Christian message is that on those living in the land of shadow, a light has dawned. You know, I don't think it's a coincidence that when the angels arrived in the fields that night and just turned the life of those shepherds upside down, what was it that caught their attention? Huge light. Enormous light. It's because they had just come from the realm of light. Blast of light that transformed the darkness of that night in those Bethlehem fields. The Savior had come from the realm of light into the darkness of a fallen world in order to light our lost way back to God. It's all about light in the darkness. Advent hope is all about light in the darkness. That we as the people of God have been shown the way. We as the people of God have the presence of God, that light in our lives. Words of Jesus, you are the salt and you are the light of the world. Keller goes on to share his response to an ad that he had read in the New York Times that said that the meaning of Christmas is that, the, is that love will triumph and that we will be able to pull together a world of unity and peace. Well, as you might expect, he rather scoffs at that idea. And he cites a quote from Václav Havel, who was the first president of the Czech Republic. Keller writes this. He says, He had a unique vantage point from which to peer deeply into both socialism and capitalism. And he was not optimistic that either would by itself solve the greatest human problems. He knew that science, unguided by moral principles, had given us the Holocaust. He concluded that neither technology, nor the state, nor the market alone could save us from nuclear degradation. Havel said this, Pursuit of the good life will not help humanity save itself, nor is democracy alone enough. A turning to and seeing of God is needed. The human race, he said, constantly forgets that it is not God. Wow. Powerful words. He was first president of the Czech Republic. (laughs) Politician. Yeah. Yeah. Brothers and sisters, in in a few minutes, we're going to share together at the table of our Lord Jesus. And so, in preparation for that, let me just offer to you some thoughts about some of the truths that we read together in that amazing text from Romans 8. I think, I think these are truths that we need to, to grab onto. They certainly are truths that prepare us well to celebrate the table together as God's people. But I think that they're also truths that, that are important for us to remember as we want to be a people in this Advent season who live out the certainty of Advent hope. Not the lesser hope, but Advent hope. 
the hope that, that is not a warm fuzzy, but hope that is grounded in the character of who God is. First of all, did you notice that as Paul is reading this litany of things that happen to us, this litany of all the, the, the ugly things that, that can be a part of this life and that can oppress us and that oppress people, did you notice he's not apologetic about that at all? He doesn't explain it away. He doesn't, <clears throat> excuse me, encourage us as God's people <clears throat> to, to hope for the end of these things in this life. He is unapologetic about the broken nature of the world in which we love. And he doesn't seem to express wonder or even much concern. He doesn't ask the question, why is the world the way it is? And of course, if you spend time reading the previous seven chapters of Romans, you learn why that is. You know, he is convinced that the pain and the hardships and the mess in which we live is a mess that has been created by humanity. It is our mess. He talks about all of creation being subjected in bondage to sin until the time of its redemption. The mess in this world is our doing. Paul never puts it on God. Nor does he suggest anywhere in any of his writings that it is going to get better if we just try harder. Collectively pull ourselves together Think positively, rely on all of our creativity and energy and talent, and make this a better world in which we live. Now, let me hasten to say, that doesn't mean that we are people who run around proclaiming that the world is going to hell in a handbasket. It doesn't mean that we are people who run around despairing of the doom that lies ahead. That the sky is falling and that we better get our act together. Paul assumes in this text, did you hear his assumption of the presence of God in our broken world? He's unapologetic about it. He understands why it is. And then he assumes the presence of God in our broken world. Can someone remind me, what's the name Emmanuel mean? Oh yeah, that's right. God with us. God with us. God in this broken world. God with those who are his own. God with those who who love him and have committed their lives to him. Powerful words there about God's plan, 
of salvation for those who love him. God is at work in our broken world. And for those who know him through his son, Jesus, they can be confident that not only is God at work, but that he's working through the specific events and circumstances of our lives. And, and let me just say real quickly that, that I think this is touching on that area of the lesser hope that I mentioned, the lesser hope that, that this will get better or that this problem will go away or that I won't have to face this in the future. What Paul is saying is, it may or it may not. But the reality is that God is with you in your life, so personal, so intimate, so in control of the details and the circumstances that he is working things together for the good of his plan and for the growth of his people and the glory of his name, even through the hard stuff. Wow. Big God, certain hope. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. These are our promises that we simply must grasp and hang on to and rehearse with one another and articulate to others if we are going to be people who embrace and live out and communicate <clears throat> certain hope in this Advent season and in all of life. God is at work in all of things to redeem what was lost and to bring us back into relationship that we were created for. God works together in all things. Tell me, do you believe that all things means all things? Are you sure? (laughs) Thank you for that honesty, Doug. Does all things mean everything that we face in life? The things that surprise us? The things that scare us? Does it it mean all the hard and pain-filled circumstances that come our way? All of them? Does it include the struggles in your marriage? Does it include the disappointment, even the heartbreak that you feel about your children? Does it include financial loss? Does it include the bad news that you've received from the doctor? Does it really mean all things? I was looking at my calendar. Second Sunday of Advent a year ago was my first Sunday to preach after my surgery. So here we are, a year later. And I came out of that surgery hopeful that my cancer would be gone. It wasn't. So then I went through seven weeks of radiation, thinking that that would take care of the cancer. It didn't. In fact, the doctor even said to Sharice and I, 
not sure that it did any good. Oh, thanks, Doc. That's, that's great to know. Did I have hope through that year, and do I still have hope? Absolutely, I do. I don't have great hope in medical processes, in treatment, in medicine. Certainly God uses those things, but sometimes he chooses to go in a different direction. And our hope, my brothers and sisters, is not just for this life. In fact, our hope probably has very little to do with this life other than we know that God is with us in the circumstances and he is working his plan and he is preparing us for something far greater. The creation story, Genesis 1 and 2, points out the brokenness of the world as a result of humanity's rejection of God. And I think that in some ways, as, as crazy as it might sound, <clears throat> this longing that humanity has is a longing to return to that relationship for which we were made, kind of a holdover or a leftover from the garden, need to worship, leftover from the garden, concept of God, the notion of someone or something that we are dependent upon. It's leftover from the garden. Wow. You see, I think hope exists because the garden doesn't. It's kind of what Catherine was saying. If, if we hadn't eaten of that fruit too soon, we wouldn't be talking about hope. But God is at work through the fallen circumstances of this world to grow and shape us and bring us back into the relationship for which we were created. That's such an awesome thing. And there is a promise and with this, I want to close and lead us into communion this morning. The love of God holds us through the process of getting us back to the garden. Paul says, is there anything that will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord? The answer is absolutely nothing. That is certain hope. That is hope that is known for God's people. Hope that is experienced by those who have surrendered their lives to him and are pressing in no matter how hard, how difficult, how hopeless the things of life seem to be. The love of God holds us through the process of getting us back to the garden. You know, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and he was talking about the resurrection of Jesus and the importance of that. And he said, you know, if we only have hope for this life alone, then we are to be more than all people most pitied. Our hope is for an eternity with the one who created us for himself. My brothers and sisters, we, we come to this table this morning and we celebrate 
the truth of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Gathered with his followers on that night before he was crucified and he took the bread. Scripture tells us he broke it. And he said to them, this is my body given for you. Given for us for what reason? That we might have hope. That we might be through his blood and his sacrifice restored back into the relationship for which we were created. This is my body given for you. Jesus said, do this often and remember me. And after the meal, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Brothers and sisters, it is in the blood of the Lord Jesus that we find forgiveness of sin. So I want to invite you this morning as followers of Christ to come and to share this joyful feast of the people of God. Come and share in the bread and the cup of hope. Come as you're ready. Our youth are going to come and serve you this morning, so come on up, folks, wherever you are. And uh, if you've never taken communion in Applewood, you are certainly welcome as a follower of Jesus to come and to join. Um, There'll be... Folks standing up here, just form two lines, come up and tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, and rejoice in the amazing grace of God.